Our first scripture this morning comes from Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Hear now the word of our Lord. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 9 through 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Samaritan woman said to him, to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me again? Most holy God, we thank you for the gift of your precious scriptures Lord, I pray that you would let these be not just words that we read and not just words that we hear, but that you would make them live within us so that through them, in the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, we might come to better know you and to experience a life changed by his amazing grace. And Lord, for myself, I pray that my words would be acceptable and pleasing to you, God, that they would serve only to bring you glory and nothing else, because aside from that, they have no worth at all. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. When I was about eight years old, my grandmother uh, made this cherry cobbler. 
It's an important cherry cobbler in my own history, one that I remember aside from all of the others, because I'm a person who loves cherries, and I love pastries. So what wasn't to love about a homemade, right out of the oven, cherry cobbler, baked with love by a grandmother? And so I was very excited about this, not only because it was there, but also because it was there when only me and my grandparents were in the house, which meant there were not very many people to share with. And so my grandparents, they took their slices and they told me, okay, now you can serve yourself. I was eight, I was capable of uh, getting a slice of cobbler myself, and so I did. And I ate a slice and I went back and I got another one and I ate that one too, and I just kept on going until I'd eaten probably three quarters of the cherry cobbler in one sitting. And friends, I have to tell you, I have never been so sick from food in my life as I was that one day when I was eight years old. I have to say, I like to think at least that I learned something from that experience, not just that cherry cobbler for as wonderful as it can be is also dangerous. And it wasn't just that I wouldn't eat cherry cobbler again for almost 20 years afterwards. I've gotten over it now, but it's been a while. But rather, it was that if I let myself get carried away and keep coming back to this cherry cobbler time and time again, eventually it would stop tasting sweet and start making me sick. I like to think that I learned something about life on that day, too. You learn a lot about life when you're a kid. One of the things that I learned then was that it's so easy to just consume and consume, to keep coming back for more of something that tastes good in the moment, hoping that eventually that sweetness would stick with you, that you'd have enough of the cherry cobbler until eventually it's too late. You've eaten so much that you've made yourself sick. But when it comes to life, when it comes to consuming, it's so easy for us to come back time and time again to the things that give us a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of hope, a little bit of happiness. And by the time we realize something's wrong, that we've consumed too much, something far worse than just getting sick has happened. Friends, we say that everything changes when we meet Jesus. And we're talking about what it looks like to have that kind of experiential faith, to live a life that's different than it would have been otherwise. What it means to meet Christ and know Christ in such a way that our lives look totally different than they would if we didn't know him and if we hadn't been changed. Last week we started, we talked about the very beginning of this change, the place that we have to start if we want to have this kind of experiential faith, and that is with repentance. That meeting Jesus requires us to see where we've come from and to decide that we're going to turn away from that to follow him instead. And so, when we come to this scripture reading, we find another person having another experience with Jesus, after which everything will be different. Just for some backstory, Jesus has come to this well, 
by himself. His disciples are not with him, which means that their supplies aren't with him either. He's all alone, and he meets this woman at the well, and he asks her for a drink. But this woman is not an Israelite like him. She's not a Jew. She doesn't worship in the temple. She's a Samaritan. We see Jesus talk about the Samaritans a few times. And yet, the Samaritans share a common history with the people of Israel because generations before, they too were the people of Israel. See, when Babylon invaded, they split the people. They exiled huge amounts of them from their homeland into Babylon, where they were integrated into the culture where they married uh, Babylonians and they forgot where they came from. And then after a few generations of that, they were allowed to return. You can read the book of Nehemiah if you want more details on what this looked like. But by the time that this reunification happened, they'd forgotten the God that they once worshipped. Or at least they'd forgotten how to worship him alone. And so... They came and were allowed back into the land of Israel, but they weren't allowed to go into Jerusalem. They weren't allowed into the temple. Because even though they worshipped God, they also had other idols. Things they brought back with them from Babylon. And so they worshipped on this mountain where this well was and where this woman would meet Jesus. But the Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't mix they didn't talk to each other. They certainly didn't help each other get water from a well. And so Jesus asking this woman for a drink yields an expected response. And this is where our scripture starts. It starts out with her saying to him, why are you talking to me? Our people are not the same we don't talk to each other. We don't spend time with each other. Why are you talking to me, a Samaritan? And why are you talking to me, a woman, by myself at this well? Jesus responds in the sort of cryptic way that he often does. Jesus never seems to give a straight answer because he wants people to understand. And he says, if you knew who I was... That's not the question that you would be asking. If you knew who I was, then you would be asking me for water, for living water. This yields, of course, the confusion that you might expect from such a strange statement, which is basically, what are you even talking about? See, when Jesus offers living water, the woman hears something different from what he's saying. See, living water referred to water that flowed, like a stream or a spring. A well was a deep hole in the ground that had water in it, yes, but it wasn't always fresh. It wasn't necessarily always there, but living water was a reliable source. It was a place that people could come back time and time again and find refreshment. They could find good, clean water for them to drink, no matter how many times they returned to it. And so when Jesus says, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water, she thinks he means you'd point, or I would point you to a stream so that you wouldn't have to hike all the way up here anymore to this well. 
And so she responds again by saying, well, what do you have against our well? Why do you have to come up here to us, to where my people gather, and disparage what we do? And Jesus responds again compassionately, honestly, with, I can show you a way out of labor. He tells her, if you keep coming back here, you're going to keep being thirsty. No matter how many times you hike up this mountain and come to this well, you'll always have to come back again. But if you listen to me, if you drink the water that I give to you, then you won't have to be thirsty again. I can show you a way out of this perpetual labor. I can show you a way into rest. I can show you a way out of this thirst that you can never quite fully escape. You come day after day to get water and you have to keep coming back. There's no relief. There's no rest to be found here. Friends, you know what this is like, I'm sure. All of us do what we need to do just to get by. You work hard because there's always more work to do. We work to pay our bills, but there's always more bills to pay. You work hard to get the grades so that you can move on to the next thing. But there's always more work to do. It never ends. And things are hard, so in the midst of that never-ending cycle, you look for something to find or to bring satisfaction, something to give you just a little bit of relief, a place to find just a little bit of pleasure, to satisfy your thirst for a moment. But friends, if you're not careful, you'll end up quickly, like me, as a child with that cobbler, engorged but never satisfied. See, the things of this world always leave you wanting more. The harder we work, the more we realize that we just have to keep working. The more we strive to be a little bit better, the more we realize that there's always a little bit better that we need to be. And so, our scripture continues. And the woman finally says, to Jesus, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Show me this stream that you're talking about. It's a dangerous thing that she does to ask Jesus for living water because he shows her the way immediately. And he says, go and call your husband and come back, knowing full well what her response is going to be. I have no husband, she replies. And Jesus says to her, you are right. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're with now is not one of them. So what you have said is quite true. She asks for living water, and so in order to show her the way, Jesus starts out in the same place that we did last week, by showing her where she's coming from. Because in order for us to experience repentance, to see that life change through Christ, we have to first know where we've been so that we can turn away from that and follow him instead. In order for her to have this living water as a spring within her heart, she must first 
wrestle with the things that stifle it and keep it from flowing. And so she responds, look, you're right. I can see that you're important and I can see that you are a prophet, a man of God. You know more about me than you're supposed to. But look, I'm just a Samaritan. Your people know this. You know that we are less uh, informed. We don't know God like you know God. We just worship on this mountain. You know that we're supposed to worship down there, but you won't let us in the temple. So how could we ever have any hope for that? How could I be holy if I can't even come into your temple? She starts out by saying, let me plead ignorance. This is just, it's, it's not my fault that I am where I am. I can't even go to your temple. But Jesus replies, you're right. You can't worship in the temple, but there is a time that's coming. And indeed, a time that has arrived where it doesn't matter where you worship. It's no excuse that you can't go into the temple any longer because the temple is not the only place that you can worship God. This mountain is not the only place that you can worship God. You can worship God wherever you are, so just do it. Friends, we can come with all kinds of excuses, all kinds of reasons that we can't bow before the King of Kings. All kinds of justifications for why we do the things that we do and can't stop. I've been prone in my more stubborn moments to say that it's just my German nature, but the truth is I'm just kind of stubborn sometimes. We say nobody has ever taught me any other way. Nobody ever showed me a better thing to do. Life is hard, cut me some slack. We have all of these things, but the fact is that Jesus knows exactly where we are and exactly where we are coming from. And how does he respond to us? He responds the same way that he responds to this Samaritan woman, by calling her from where she's been, indeed from where she was at that moment, to where she should be. And for us too, Jesus calls us from where we are to where God wants us to be. Jesus doesn't want us to stay outside. Scripture tells us that God does not desire the death of a sinner, but that we should know life through him, that we should be brought back to him through repentance and live Jesus wants us to know life through him. And so he calls us to repent, to turn away, and to follow him to the source of living water. And so this woman has one more final plea for Jesus, which is, well, I know that you're right, but a Messiah is coming. And when he gets here, he'll tell us everything we need to know. He'll make it right. He'll show us how to worship in spirit and truth, just as you have said. And Jesus responds, I am who you're waiting for. And I am explaining this to you now. So listen. His message to her is that she could have husband after husband and never find an end, just like she could come back to this well time and time again and never find an end to her thirst. It won't satisfy. 
Friends, where are you looking for satisfaction in life? Are you looking at vices and small pleasures and things like cherry cobbler or maybe something a little bit more dangerous? Are you looking for satisfaction through your relationships or your family or through marriage? I tell you this, don't put that responsibility on them because they can never satisfy in the way that God can. Are you looking for satisfaction through your job, through just one more promotion, through one more project well done, through school? Are you looking for satisfaction through your knowledge, through your skills, through your successes, through the things of this world that will always leave you wanting just a little bit more? Just a little bit more. Friends, it will always leave you unsatisfied, without exception, because only living water can satisfy your soul. You want satisfaction? Forget everything else. Hear Jesus' call to repent and take up this simple satisfaction. Have you ever noticed that Jesus uses the simplest things to explain who he is? tells the people, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Through me, you can have living water, bread and light and water. These are basic things that we need to live. They're simple. And Jesus fulfills all of those things that we need to live. So the question is then, how do we get this living water? How do we find this wellspring of life, of hope, of joy? Jesus tells us that it's by living a life of worship in spirit and truth. To worship God in spirit and faith and love and holiness. By trusting in the Lord every moment to know that he is enough to satisfy our souls, that we can always lean on him for comfort and strength, that he is our firm foundation in times of trial and the source of every joy. In love, not only of God, but of each other as well, by sharing the love of Christ with one another and with the world all around us, that is worship too. And through holiness, through the dedicated and intentional pursuit of God in every moment of every day, in all things, in everything that we do. And of course, to worship God in truth simply means to do all of these things, not only when we gather together, not only when we come together on Sunday mornings to worship God, just like it didn't mean that the Jews got to worship God only when they gathered in the synagogues or in their temple. But to worship God in truth is to worship God genuinely and fully with every part of our lives, indeed with every piece of our very being. That we should be worshiping God just as much in the middle of the week as we do when we gather together on Sunday mornings in faith and love and holiness in every moment of every day. And that is what it means to truly worship. And Jesus, as he tells this Samaritan, is telling us too that through these things, it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done before. 
doesn't matter what you've experienced or what you've been through, what trials or mistakes or anything. What matters is that we bow down before God the Father and worship Him in spirit and truth every moment. Because that, my friends, is where we can find living water. Through Jesus Christ, who we worship in spirit and in truth, who will finally give us the satisfaction that we so desperately chase after. Thanks be to God. Amen.